With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good men and women around the world who want to make a difference. Engagement and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed, but the only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host, Bob Ruff, and on today's episode, I'm going to take you with me as I travel to Texas to further investigate Ed's case, track down some last-minute witnesses before we pass the baton on to Allison Clayton of the Innocence Project, and most importantly, attended a meeting that very well could change the outcome of Edward Aid's life. Besides working on Ed's case, another important part of this trip was to begin the process of investigating our next case. You won't be hearing about the new case on this episode, but barring any new information that comes up between now and then, we are now officially ready to announce that we will begin coverage of our new case, case number three, on February 26th. But for right now, let's all go to Dallas, Texas. Mike and I landed at DFW Airport at about 6 o'clock on Sunday night, and we hit the ground running. Prior to the trip, we had purchased some new recording equipment that we needed to test out. So we got into our rental car, turned on the recording equipment, and immediately headed to Cedar Hill. By the time we got there, it was pretty late at night, and the Dallas versus Green Bay playoff game was just coming to an end. Spirits were kind of low in Dallas that night. Once we arrived into town, the first thing that we did was to do some recon. I had found two different addresses where I thought Francis Johnson might be staying, and that was the primary reason why we were staying in Cedar Hill for this trip rather than in Tyler. As you're going to hear next week, I believe that it's very possible that Francis Johnson may have key information on this case that could help to free Ed. I've been searching for Francis since April of last year. I've traveled to several cities across Texas looking for him. And the last piece of information that I had was when I spoke to his sister this fall, and she told me that he was going through a divorce and that she believes he was living near the Dallas area. So the first thing that Mike and I did when we got into town was go drive past the two addresses that we had for Francis Johnson so we could scout out a safe way to approach. Once we had finished with our recon, we decided that we should probably eat dinner before we go to bed that night. So we headed to Old Chicago. 
I don't think I've ever been in a gloomier place than the old Chicago in Dallas on the night Dallas just got knocked out of the playoffs. There were definitely a lot of tears and beers that night. As we were sitting down having drinks and waiting for our food, a massive storm began to roll into the Dallas area, which I didn't realize until I was on the phone with my wife Becky and my phone gave me an emergency weather alert. Uh oh. Hang on. Oh shit. Uh, my phone just alerted me that there's a tornado warning and I should take shelter immediately. But nobody else seems to be concerned. You guys are cool, right? I turned that off. <laughs> <laughs> right. It most definitely got my attention when my phone told me to take shelter immediately, but no one else around the bar seemed to be bothered by the alert at all, and I was hungry. So we stuck around and we ate our dinner. But when it was time to leave, things had gotten a little bit hairy outside. All right, your call. Oh, this sucks. Maybe we should not do this right now, Bob. <laughs> oh, nope. Back inside. <laughs> Go. Quite as much water damage as I thought. Well, I moved like a cheetah. Yeah, that was, that was actually pretty impressive. A guy like you, as big as you, moving that. Fast. All he's picturing is, uh, is uh, me tripping. Yeah. Landing on my face. Somehow, and Mike and I drenched. managed to make it through what seemed to be football-sized raindrops and get to the car without damaging any of our new equipment. It was time to hit the sack because we had a very busy day the next day. We were both a little bit on edge that morning we were headed out to the last known address that we had for Francis Johnson. This could be the big moment. But unfortunately, things didn't go quite according to plan. Hi, I'm... You said, does, does Francis Johnson live here? Okay, do you know Francis? Did he... Okay, do you know where I can find him? Oh, back in Tyler with his family? Yeah, if you talk... You don't happen to have a phone number for Francis, do you? I do not. I've talked to his uh, sister and his brother, and nobody seems to have After searching for Francis for months right, yeah, all over East him? Texas, we finally found out that that whole time that he was staying with his daughter in Cedar Hill. But when we got to his daughter's house, she informed me that Francis had moved back to Tyler, just within a couple of weeks of when we showed up. According to his daughter, Francis didn't have a phone, or at least not a phone number that she knew, which has been the story we've been hearing from everyone for months. I did also have the address of Francis's ex-wife. That was one of the houses that we were scoping out the night before. Throughout the course of this four-day trip, Mike and I made seven trips to Francis's wife's house, but we never got an answer at her door. On the first trip, I left a business card and a note in her door, which stayed in that exact location for at least two days. But on the third day, both the business card and the note were gone. Francis's ex-wife had been home, but apparently she was not interested in talking to me. We spent most of the afternoon day walking through the crime scene of our next case. While it was really interesting and we got a lot of great new information, my mind was still on Ed. So after a long day, Mike and I got back to the hotel that night, and we started planning a trip to Tyler the next day. We wanted to take one more chance at finding Francis Johnson. And as long as we were heading that way we decided to make a trip to the prison to visit with Ed. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mike and I were up and out of the hotel by 7 a.m. on Tuesday morning. Excitement was looming in both of us as we drove through the flat landscape of East Texas, heading for the Cofield Unit Prison in Tennessee Colony to see Ed. It took about an hour to get through all the security checkpoints, the metal detectors, the frisking, and the equipment checks. But finally, we got to sit down and in walk my friend Ed Eights. This was my favorite part of the trip. There's something just totally different, even though there was glass between us, being able to see and communicate with Ed in person rather than just on the phone as we normally do. The guards only allowed us one hour for the visit, but during that hour we had a great conversation. Ed was in really high spirits, we laughed a lot, we both fought back tears on a number of occasions. It was just like sitting down and visiting with an old friend. And we didn't just talk about Ed's case. Ed was actually able to help us out a little bit in the new case that we're going to be covering in a few weeks. But to be honest, we spent a lot more time talking about Kim and Kyra and Zachary than we did about any case. But as always seems to happen with Ed, just during normal passing conversation, he mentioned something to me that goes a long way to explain some mysteries that we've had in his case, which we'll get into in just a little bit. But the most important part of this visit for me, and I think for Ed too, was what happened at the end of our visit. Is it completely against the rules for me to reach through and shake the man's hand? Thank you for making this All right, brother. Thanks. Thank you for that. See you, Ed. Appreciate Take it. Care. As we walk down uh, to the end of the hallway, and Ed passes microphone to the guard to pass through the tiny little window back to me, I asked the guard if she would allow me to shake Ed's hand. I thought it was a long shot, and I almost couldn't believe it when the guard gave me permission to do just that. It's amazing and sad how we take things like that for granted. The simple action of shaking a man's hand, being able to look him in the eye, and without saying a word, let him know that you've got his back, and you'll always have his back. And to see the look in his eyes that says, I trust you with my life. If I had to pinpoint the highlight of the last year for me, it was that moment when I finally got to shake my friend's hand. I walked away from the prison and tried to discreetly wipe the tears away from my eyes and fight through the same emotions that I felt last time I left the prison. That feeling of sadness watching Ed walk back into that cage. But I knew that we had work to do. We're not going to get Ed back home to his family, shooting the shit and shaking hands. It was time to get back on the trail of Francis Johnson. I was able to quickly shake off the emotions and get back in the car and head back to Tyler. From the prison, we made a beeline to Francis's mother's house, 
where his brother and sister still live. As I walked up to the door, I was feeling anxious and excited. This could finally be it. There were a couple of cars in the driveway, so I knew that someone was home. But unfortunately, that someone was not Francis Johnson. Does he have a phone? Yeah, I was, I was joking around with my buddy that worked with me. He said, that, that man's a gypsy. I can't drag yeah, him down I, anywhere. Yeah, I'm being honest with you about that. You know, that, that's just how he is. Yeah. Because he was living for so long. It was just a crime when they did split up. But they've been together for years. I'm really yeah. starting to feel like I'm just chasing yeah. my tail with Francis. I, know, I don't know if everyone is helping oh, wow. Francis to avoid me. Or if the man really is this hard to track down. Everyone that I've spoken to has told me that Francis doesn't have a phone. And as you heard from his sister, he does live with her now, but they still never know where he's at because he'll go days at a time without coming home. I wanted to set up a tent across the street and just watch for days until Francis finally came home. But I couldn't. There was more work to do. So we got back in the car and headed back to the house where Ed's grandmother, Mrs. Dews, lived. The house has been vacant since Mrs. Dews passed away, but I wanted to confirm what I believed to be true. Like I mentioned several weeks ago, my memory of walking around that backyard months and months ago was that you could see the back of Elnora's trailer from the backyard of Ed's grandmother's house. I pulled up into the driveway and walked behind the house. I even turned on Periscope so that as many people that are following along on social media could experience this now, with where me. Where I'm standing right now, is right off the back corner of Ed's house. And what you see here, that's Johnny's house. That is Elnora's trailer. And that car you see right there is parked exactly where Elnora's car was. Sure enough, when you walk out the side door of Ed's grandmother's house and walk around to the path that led to Johnny's, you had a clear view of Elnora's trailer. And there just happened to be a car parked almost in the exact same place where Elnora's car was parked that night. And you can see the car clear as day from behind the house. Which again, makes it extremely unlikely that someone trying to hide the fact that Elnora is still at home would not pull the car behind the trailer if their experience seeing that car every day was from their own backyard. But while I was wandering around Mrs. Dew's house, I saw one of my favorite people wandering around below the hill. Little Miss Johnny Pryor was working on something on her back porch. And since I was right there, I couldn't resist the opportunity to stop by and see her again. What was supposed to be a quick, hey, how are you doing, ended up turning into a two-hour-long conversation with Johnny, which we'll be talking about right after this second break. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. 
Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. When I first knocked on Johnny Pryor's door, I got her usual response. Door barely cracked open, her peering through the crack with one eye, looking suspiciously at the man that was standing in front of her house. But as soon as she realized who I was, the door flung wide open, and Johnny invited Mike and I in to sit down. The first thing that I wanted to tell Johnny was that it has been about nine months since I first spoke with her about her cousin's case, and that after nine months of investigation, I finally determined that with 100% assurity, Edward Aids did not kill Elnora. We spent a little bit of time talking about how I knew that and what the evidence represented. And I was amazed at Johnny's empathy for Ed. She was so upset that this had happened to him, which is incredible when you consider that it was her cousin who lost her life. But Johnny is not a vindictive person. and She believes in truth, honesty, and justice. And the fact that those police officers, she now believes, intentionally railroaded an innocent man and sent him away from his wife and kids to serve life in prison, was heartbreaking to her. I sat on her couch chatting with her for over an hour, but it seemed like only minutes. Talking to Johnny that day really made me miss my grandmothers. So sweet and open, but blunt at the same time. Johnny doesn't mix words. When I met Johnny for the first time early last year, I mentioned how emotionless she seemed, as though she's had a rough life, and finding Elnora in that trailer that day was probably not the worst thing that's happened to her. Well, as it turns out, as I've gotten to know Johnny better, that seems to be pretty accurate. Johnny has lost husbands, family members, and has suffered some incredible emotional heartbreak after the death of Elnora. As we were talking, Johnny popped up and ran to a huge pile of photo albums. Johnny wanted to show me some photos of Elnora and other members of the family. You could tell that as she was flipping through the pages of the albums, that the photos contained inside were triggering memories for Johnny. Sad memories. When Elnora was killed, her family all came from Dallas to gather her things. Johnny and Elnora were close. It was terrible what had happened. But what happened next is almost just as sad. Johnny feels that the family blames her for Elnora's death. For the last 25 years, she has lived with the guilt that she offered her trailer to Elnora, allowing her to move away from Dallas. She said that the family believes that if she hadn't done that, Elnora would still be alive today. This was the first time I've ever seen Johnny cry. There she stood, all five foot of her, flipping through photo albums, telling me stories, as tears rolled down her cheeks. All I wanted to do was get up and give her a big hug, but I could tell by her mannerisms that she didn't want me to know that she was crying. She doesn't live in a world where it's okay to be weak, and so I let her have her strength. As she went on, I found out that Johnny really never got the opportunity to properly grieve. It wasn't just the family that was blaming her. She said that even the police were questioning the way that she responded to finding Elnora's body. They said that I, I acted real uh, strange and they had never 
talking about an act strange like that when they find But I don't know how, how, how I was supposed to act. I don't know what I've done, but that came up too. But I, I told him I, I don't this know. Is I you act strange? Acting. Yeah, I said I was acting strange and he had never saw nobody act strange like that when they find somebody. I never find nobody dead. I never... The ripple effect of Elnora's death reaches wide. Her murder not only took Elnora's life away, but it destroyed Elnora's entire family. It irreparably broke Johnny Pryor's heart, and it ripped Ed Eights away from his family who loves him. Tragedy does not even come close to describing the effects of her murder. After about an hour of sitting and talking with Johnny, I mentioned that I had some questions about the trailer next door. In order to further investigate the footprint in the kitchen, I needed to find the exact location of the footprint and measure the tiles around it so that we can determine the exact size of that footprint. Johnny grabbed her phone and called her brother Leon, who's living in the trailer now, and asked if we could come over. I'd met Leon before, and he's a super nice guy, and he told us to come on over. On the way out, we went through the back porch and I could see that Johnny was working on some projects. Johnny teaches black history, so considering we're coming up on Black History Month, she's at her busiest right now. As we walked through the porch, I noticed a beautiful painting that she had on an easel. I've talked to Johnny before about her teaching of black history, and every time I stop to see her, I always get a lesson. I'm getting ready for my black history program. I just made this. I probably won't. I don't know if I even use it. But this is what I talk about, the quilts that the slaves used to hang on the line and send messages to each other. I found this quilt, this picture this year. And um, they were, now this quilt. So they, they they used the quilts to send messages? Yeah. And this is, now I got the big quilts in there and garage sticks. It was 10 quilts. They would make a quilt. Whoever the old lady was that kept the kids were too old to work. Uh-huh. And the slave, she couldn't go. So she would keep the babies for the slaves that went to the field. And she would make these quilts and put the tin patterns on them so the slaves could, could learn the pattern and they could leave and go to freedom whenever they got ready. But this pattern here is called a bow tie pattern. Okay. I will tell you that once they got off, they got one that, uh, the third pattern was the main one, but this one here was just telling them that once you get up north to Cleveland, you got to dress up. And because the slave was so poor and no shoes, it would be people up there. In those churches, white people, you know, all, everybody come down them was white, no black. Uh-huh. The slave or the slave, they couldn't get one though. Right. Those white people. And they would take them up there and uh, dress them up so they couldn't tell they were a slave. Then they could get on the ship and then they could go over to Canada. Uh-huh. But they'd be, uh, the slave catchers be right there looking, seeing those black people that, that get on the ship. Oh, wow. But this, this pattern here is the, is the bow tie. But they start out with a, with a, 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 the first quilt they would hang out and tell you, get, it, get your things together. You can catch somebody gonna come get you. And the next one was say it, it, it may hang on the line two or three lines, two or three days. And the next one was say get all the things together, call a wagon, which you can carry in a wagon. And then one day they would hang this quilt out with these blocks in it. It's just all blocked, like tumbling blocks, just named uh-huh. quilt. And when they put that quilt out, it only hung it one day, because that means tonight. Right. Somebody's coming tonight. So what the slaves would do was just listen to a voice, and somebody would be in the woods singing. They, they wouldn't go to bed that night because they know somebody going to come and get them. And on every case, As I was listening to Johnny talk, all I could think of is I just want to give her a big hug. But instead, I settled for a picture. And I did get a hug before I left.
but not before I asked her if she'd be willing to take a photo with me. Yeah. Hey, would you mind, Johnny, if I... Would you be willing to take a picture with me? Sure. Yeah. No. No. What? <laughs> After over an hour of talking, Johnny hadn't realized that she didn't have her hair done the whole time. Mike and I waited as she scurried back into the house to put on her red sequined hat, and we got a great photo with a beautiful painting of the quilt in the background. And then away we went down to Elnora's trailer. Johnny's brother Leon met me with a big handshake and a smile. We got the measurements that we needed from the kitchen floor, and then he took me back to the bedroom to show me where the phone jack was. As it turns out from what he showed me, I believe that the killer did indeed attempt to pull the phone line out of the wall in the bedroom, but was unable to do so. The phone line in that bedroom is actually on the opposite wall from the door. Leon was explaining to me how when he moved in, he had to get an extra long cord and run it way under the bed to plug his phone in. And when I told him about the phone line that went across the nightstand in the photos of the crime scene that night, he said that the phone line was probably pinched under the bedpost, because that's what had happened with his. Once we were done taking our measurements and examining the crime scene, we continued on for about 30 minutes just chatting with Johnny and Leon. After a nice talk, we said our goodbyes and headed back to the car. While I was in Tyler, there's one more person that I wanted to visit, and that person is Monica Bush. As we found out over the last few weeks, Monica Bush's changing testimony from her initial statement to the police all the way through to the second trial played a big role in Ed getting convicted. And I wanted to hear from her directly. Why did your story change? Well, we did manage to track Monica down, but unfortunately, she had no interest in helping us out. Uh, right. Monica barely cracked the door open about two inches. She reminded me that she had told me before that she does not want to get involved in the case. And when I asked her about her changing testimony, she simply told me that she doesn't remember. It's hard to understand why she would be so apprehensive to just talk. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Because we know what she remembered less than two days after Ed was at her apartment. And because of that, we know that there is no chance that Ed had anything to do with Elnora's murder. When we left Monica's apartment, we had about an hour to kill before we had to be at a very important meeting. During that time, I thought back to my conversation with Ed. While I was at the prison talking to him, he was telling me all the intimate details of what happened after he got back to his grandmother's house the night Elnora's body was found, after he interviewed with the police. And something that he had told me could prove to be very relevant in his case. Still there, because everybody wanted to know what was going on. Uh-huh. And I think my, my aunt came over for a little while. Okay. And he went on back home. We finally went to sleep for about a couple of hours and got right back up. Uh-huh. And, you know, just pretty much uh, everything, you know, we thought everything was over, you know. Oh, yeah, I didn't tell you this. Uh, that morning, my grandmother was cooking breakfast. And, you know, we take the trash out put in the trash barrel because we burn our trash in the country. Uh-huh. So we took the trash, I took the trash out. I wasn't gonna burn because the wind was high and we have a screen that we put on. Right. So I put it out there in the thing for to put the screen on, keep birds and stuff out of it. Right. Because it got possums that come up and tear it open too. Right. I put the screen on there and before I could, I walked from maybe here to that little old concrete deal there. That guy Bobby Gorman ran up there. I didn't, I didn't hear, I didn't pay attention. By the time I got turned around, and, he was in the trash and he was tearing everything. I'm like, 
I said, man, what the fuck are you doing? He didn't tell me nothing. He just went through the trash. That I was walked, that, that next that Saturday that morning? That was that morning. I okay. walked, walked back to the house. My grandma said, what is that man doing? I said, that's one of the policemen down there. I said, he turned the trash over something. He just turned. We I remember you telling me that, but I didn't, I didn't remember when that happened. The very next morning. I was just sitting there looking. I was like, what the hell is he doing? So that was so they had all they had already taken off about seven, and they said they went back around noon. So was it was it around noon when they no, came that back? That was still that morning. That was still that morning. I, they hadn't went anywhere. Oh, before they had even cleared. That was before they had even when they. That was that morning. My grandmother cooked breakfast between. She was cooking between about six, about six forty-five. That's when he was up there at that trash. He was tearing that trash. So it was before they cleared. Before they cleared. Okay. Before. He was out there tearing the trash open. After he tore Ed has told me before about the Bobby incident Garman. where Captain Bobby Garman was yeah, rummaging through the trash in his backyard. But what I never realized before this conversation was that that occurred the morning after Elnora's body was found. I had assumed this entire time that that took place the next week or sometime later down the road. But Ed said that that happened in the early morning hours of that Saturday, before the police had cleared the crime scene. And the reason this is important is because, according to Ed, Bobby Garman is the person who initially found the Jolly Rancher wrapper in the trash can while he was being interviewed on that Friday night. Remember, Ed's story directly conflicts with Dale Huckel's report. Huckel wrote in his report that Waller found the wrapper in his trash can in his office the next day. But Ed said that's not true. He has always maintained, before we ever even got these reports, that Bobby Gorman followed him into the bathroom and took that Jolly Rancher wrapper out of the trash can from the bathroom. And also knowing now that there absolutely was no Jolly Rancher wrapper in the trash can of the bathroom at Elnora's house, the fact that Bobby Gorman was going through his trash that morning before the police cleared the crime scene puts Gorman at both ends of the Jolly Rancher wrapper mystery. I don't want to throw out any baseless accusations against a police officer but I'm going to let you connect the dots there. As frustrating as this revelation was, I didn't have time to dwell on it. And that's because I had someone very important to meet that night. The Tuesday night when I was in Tyler, Texas, I went to Stanley's Barbecue and I sat down across the table from one of the most important people in Ed's case. We each sat with a beer in front of us, eye to eye, man to man, and had an off-the-record conversation. And since the agreement was that the conversation would be off the record, I can't discuss the context of the talk. But what I can tell you is that I would characterize this conversation as very, very productive. And after nearly a year of working on this case, the man who has been seen as a villain may now prove to be one of the greatest assets to finally bringing Ed home. And that man is David Dobbs. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Our executive producer is Mike Bussing. I want to thank Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. If you're interested in having Tate do some graphic design work for you, you can reach her on Facebook at Tate Krupa Graphic Designs. And that's Krupa, K-R-U-P-A. 
I also want to thank Amanda Meyer of Willow Photo and Design for creating the new logo that we're now using for the Friday follow-ups. Amanda's website is willowphotoanddesign.com. I also want to thank our transcription team, Sarah Hoyt, Sarah Mueller, and Desiree Dunn for transcribing all the episodes and mailing them out to Ed and Kenny every week. And of course, a huge thank you to all of you for all of your support. And if you're looking for ways to further support the movement and what we're doing here, there are several ways that you can do that. You can donate financially to our Patreon, which you can click to through our website, truthinjusticepod.com. You can leave a five-star iTunes review that'll make the show more visible to other listeners. Or you can simply support us by supporting our sponsors. And most importantly, the biggest way that you can support this movement is to continue to contribute by sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at truthandjusticepod.com or send new cases into cases at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like the Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.